Unlike Scott, who sits on this, I would probably fall off, so I just put my Bible on it. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to read it immediately, but I would invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. That's an easy one. Genesis, Exodus. Once you get past the maps and the, you know, table of contents and all the other stuff, then Genesis and then Exodus. It was Malcolm Mugridge, a world famous broadcast journalist, also a noted cynic, skeptic, sarcastic wit, who first introduced the world to Mother Teresa. Malcolm Mugridge had just a few years earlier come to faith in Christ. And if you read his writings, there was a dramatic change in the tone of his entire life. And he wrote some of the most beautiful of prose to capture his being mesmerized by his new Lord and Master, Jesus. And Malcolm Mubridge became quite fascinated with the lives of followers of Christ who took him seriously and their life was radically changed and they were radically making a difference And he heard of Mother Teresa, this tiny Almadian nun who was investing her life and who had created this potent uh, Sisters of Charity organization in places such as Calcutta, one of the darkest, largest, out of control places in terms of human misery on the planet. And so he, through the auspices of the BBC, produced this special of two parts on Mother Teresa, and her fame exploded. And in that uh, documentary, he interviewed her and he asked the question, you serve in Calcutta that is known for the dark hole. There's ever a place where there is dystopia, where suffering and poverty and misery and all the negatives of life are just overwhelming. It has to be Calcutta. How can you continue to stay there? Where you just put your hand into this bucket of misery and you pull it out and it doesn't seem anything changes. And you may remember her response. She said, I was not called to be successful. I was called to be faithful. Each of us can make of our lives something beautiful for God. That's sort of going to be our theme for the next six weeks together as we are praying for Pastor Scott as the church every seven years gives him a sabbatical. And it's his time to draw aside, uh, to learn new skills, to journal, to reflect, to be alone with God, to he and Sherry have some time together to uh, finish projects and plan for the coming year. So pray for Scott. But our six weeks together, we hope, are in the flow of God's activity And we're going to uh, spend this time together around that theme. And we're going to use a metaphor. The metaphor for life is that of a journey. And we're going to be unwrapping the journey in the next six weeks. Now, we know as followers of Jesus that our journey has a, a beginning point and it has a destination. It not only begins with our birth, but it begins with our rebirth. When we are found by God... And we respond to his resolute love and the wooing of his spirit. 
and we repent of our sins and we embrace the Savior. The journey begins. We also know there is a destination and part of the destination is that God is working in our lives to make us more like Christ. And we know that part of the the historic end of our destination will be when we are called up higher. And we hear, well done, welcome home. But between the, the beginning and the destination. There are stops along the way. Where God is at work and there are places we must go if we are to make of our lives something beautiful for God. I don't know if it was conscious or not, but Mother Teresa must have been um, at least echoing unconsciously. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, which reads, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, there's a very interesting little word there that's found only two places in the Bible, and it is translated in Ephesians handiwork. And you may know that in the the original language of the New Testament, the word is poema. Now, what English word do we get from poema? Not very hard to transliterate that, is it? It is poem. And literally, the scripture is saying is that we are God's work of art. That when we are saved by his grace through the mercy of Christ Jesus, that God goes to work in us to create something beautiful that we may offer our life back to God, that we will craft the poem that is our unique poem to his glory, that we will write the symphony, that we will sing the song, that we will paint upon the canvas of our lives, our unique work of art to the glory of God. So how do we begin the fashion of our lives? Something beautiful for God. Well, in the next six weeks, we're going to look at some of the great characters and the great passages in the Old Testament. We're going to stop along the way twice in the New Testament, ending the period with the words of Jesus. And in these lives and in these words, we are going to look for places along the way that we need to pause and we need to go to craft of our lives. Something beautiful for God. This morning, we're going to look at the life of the man who traditionally is considered the greatest man in the Old Testament. What is his name? Moses. We're going to look at Exodus 3, and we have here the call of Moses. Now, in many ways, Moses' life is bigger than life. God called him to an impossible task. So, would you like to have a burning bush experience, literally, where a bush is on fire and is not consumed? Well, are you willing to take up the task that God gave Moses? Let's examine Moses' call. Because in his call, While we don't live Moses' life and God doesn't speak to us just like he spoke to Moses, the places we must go are reflected in his call. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Mountains will play a significant role in Moses' life. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, it's not so unusual on the desert that there would be a bush ablaze. What is unusual is that it is ablaze, but it is not consumed. It is not burned up. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So he thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this point, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. Because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and a spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. As we examine the call of Moses, and we'll actually revisit Moses at some point in the next uh, six weeks. We will revisit his life again on a mountain. But there are places that Moses had to go that you and I are called to go as we make of our lives something beautiful for God. And guess where the first place is? It is not a place of our choosing. The call of God almost always leads to the desert. Now, that's not the way you'd write your biography to immediately be in the wilderness, to be in God's plan. We usually consider the desert to be a place of of interruption, a place of suffering, a place of loneliness, a place of questioning and despair. But in God's plan, the desert is not a place of devastation It is a place of divestiture. It's where we meet God. And perhaps for as at no other time in our lives, we are listening. God has our attention. And most of us travel far too heavy in life. We got too much baggage. And that certainly hasn't changed in year 2011. The baggage just keeps getting piled on. And there is nothing like going into the desert To clarify our focus and to rid our lives of excess baggage. And so it is in the desert. God's got our attention and he goes to work and he begins to cause us to take a new look at life. Now, why do we always end up in the desert? I mean, Abraham was in the desert. Uh, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, David, Israel's greatest king, the prophets. We move into the New Testament and hopefully it changes. Well, it doesn't. Paul has his conversion and immediately God sends him into the desert. And Jesus himself 
following the public announcement of his call, immediately is driven by the spirit into the desert. Now, there are different reasons we go into the desert. For some of us, it's because of our failures, our flaws and our foolishness. That was the case with Moses. You see, God had orchestrated many blessings in Moses' life, and he had found himself living in the palace of the most powerful ruler on the planet. And then Moses underwent a great downward demotion. He went from the penthouse to the outhouse because of one foolish act in his life. And he is a fugitive from justice. He is out in the desert for 40 years. He is there for heaven's sakes. And many times he is wondering, I'm sure, about the lost opportunities and the wastedness of being in the desert. But God is never surprised by anything, including our failures, our foolishness and our flaws. And God redeems even our sins. And he goes to work and he prepares us to fashion of our lives something beautiful for God. Moses would not have fulfilled God's plan if he had not been available to the Lord's work in the desert. That's the hope for you and me. Sometimes injustice and suffering puts us in the desert. It's what people do to us that rather than what we do to ourselves and and. There is something with our spirit that cries out against that. Surely there is justice in this world. Why, we ask. And we don't always get the answer. But we do get the presence of God. God goes to work. Even when we're in the desert because of injustice and suffering. And God will do his greatest work in the desert. So when you're in the desert, what do you do? You begin to look up. And you cry out. To God and you began to make yourself available to do his redeeming work in you as he prepares you to become the person he wants you to be to do the work that is unique to you. So in the desert, don't despair. Look around to see the activity of God and how he is working to prepare you for the work he has you to do. Now, if we're wise We will emulate the example of Jesus, who we find went into the desert continually, not because of his foolishness, certainly not even because of the 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 most often of the of injustice and suffering from others. But Jesus deliberately allowed himself to be led of the spirit to go into the desert. And there he was alone with God, because you see, the desert is a place where we let go of all the scaffolding of our lives that we prop ourselves up with, that we think we have to have, but actually get in the way of God's activity in our lives. Richard Foster, in his great book, The Celebration of Discipline, says that the three great enemies of 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 the spiritual life are noise, hurry and crowds. In our overstimulated age, there is so much noise, so much hurry, so many crowds And it is absolutely essential that on regular times we draw aside, we get along with God, we divest ourselves of these external props and we are available before him. So are you learning to build into your schedule every day time alone with God? 
This is why being in the scriptures, you know, at least a chapter a day, reflecting upon the word of God, meeting God in his word and allow him to speak into our lives. So God's call is going to lead into the desert. And when God calls us in the desert, that call leads us to the foot of the father. You see, the journey, which is the Christ following life, first of all, is a journey inward. God does not primarily call us to do anything. He calls us to be in an obedient love relationship with him. The great hunger of our lives needs to be for fellowship with God to say with the psalmist, oh, God, you're my God. I thirst for you. Where can I go to meet you? My heart cries out to you. Are you hungry for God this morning? The call of God leads us into a relationship with him. So how is it between you and God today? You can say, well, I do this. I do that. I do the other. No. How is it? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you cultivating a transforming friendship with Jesus? Now, the call of God, if it leads into the desert and it leads to the feet of the father. And by the way, you get a new view of God at that point. I mean, Moses saw this bush ablaze and he draws near and God says, Moses, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. And any place where God is, is holy ground. And there is a sense that we cannot really understand the most nigh God until we are confronted with the most high God. And we understand that he is holy, that he is separate and distinct and there is no one like him. He is absolutely in a class by himself. And then this holy God chooses amazingly to draw near to you and me and call us his children and call us his friends. And that is ultimately proved by Jesus coming. And Jesus says, abide in me. Keep on abiding in me. Stay closely connected to me. That is who God is. And that is where the call will always lead us to walk into an obedient love relationship with him. But now watch closely that passage. What happens next? God says, Moses. I am sending you. Well, where is God sending Moses? God says, you know, I have seen my people. I have seen the misery of my people. I am concerned about them. And I have come down that I might rescue them. And I am sending you. And here is the heart of God for his world. The world in which you and I live and move and have our being. God sees the suffering of the people he created. He is concerned about them. He has come down to rescue them and he calls some of his children to various points of human brokenness where people need hope. Where are you? The one. For the call of God into a transforming friendship with him, the journey outward, inward, always leads to the journey outward into a lifestyle of servant witness for Christ in the relational traffic patterns of your life. Where are you the one? 
Now, most of us here have a disconnect and we've got to make some do some rethinking and make some connections in our lives. We once we meet Jesus, it's great to spend time with him. And when we come to the body of Christ and and we learn the joy of human of fellowship of humans who know Jesus and we come into a worship service and, and we get to meet God in, in the glory and the majesty of worship, we really would like to stay here. You know, sometimes I think it'd just be nice to have worship every day. And it reminds me of the Mount of Transfiguration experience where Jesus took his three uh, inner circle of, of uh, disciples, James, John and Peter. They go up on this 9,000 foot mountain, Mount Hermon. And there Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. He becomes blazingly, radiantly white in his glory. And all of a sudden, they look through the, the, the splendor of the person of Christ and they see two other figures. And who were those figures? They were Moses and Elijah. We'll talk about Elijah before the six weeks is over, who are considered the great men of the Old Testament. And they are standing there in fellowship with Jesus. And these three guys are getting to watch it. What a worship service. And then Moses and Elijah fade away to show that Jesus outshines them all, that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. And he is so much more. And what is their response? Well, two of the three disciples are absolutely speechless. But then there's Peter. Peter always manages to say something, whether he's thought about it or really has anything to say or not. What does he say? He says, Lord, this is fabulous. We could just stay up here all day, all week, all year even. Let's build us a, a sanctuary and let's just have worship year round on top of this mountain. And in effect, what does Jesus say? He says, you get the mountaintop sometimes. You get to meet God on the mountain or at the foot of the mountain. But that is to empower you to return to the valley where there is so much that brokenness that needs to find the healing of the gospel, where people need to find hope. You've got to reconnect with life and all the messiness of life because I am concerned about your associates. I have seen their suffering. I have come down to rescue them and I am sending you. So the call of God upon our lives as we fashion something beautiful for him starts in the desert. It leads to his feet, but it always extends to the relational traffic patterns of our life. And so we go and wherever God is, that's a holy place so we can do worshipful work in the marketplace with all of its messiness and its challenges. We can do worshipful ministry in our homes with our family who are our primary mission field. We can do worshipful relating in our neighborhoods where we meet those who do not know the Savior. In the traffic patterns of our life, we are sent by God on a mission to bear servant witness for Him. With all the messiness that that entails, knowing that where He does guide, He will provide Where are you the one? Now, the last thing we will consider this morning that we learn from the call of Moses is that God's call on your life and mine will always evoke feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency. And it will lead us to the primary step in launching a life 
that does something beautiful for God. What is Moses' response when God says, Moses, I'm sending you? He's just had this this vision of a bush ablaze and it's not consumed. God has spoken to him audibly. He is all, has his shoes off and he's on his knees before the Father. And God says, I'm concerned about these people and I'm sending you. Now, he's the greatest man in the Old Testament. What do you expect his response is? He says, here am I. Send somebody else. Please send somebody else. And he has this whole litany of excuses. I'm not adequate. Who am I? What if they don't accept my message? I mean, God was saying, go to the most powerful ruler on the planet and set his entire workforce free. That is a pretty daunting topic. The possibility of of Pharaoh accepting that was probably almost nil. Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. But, 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 please send someone else. And God says, I will go with you. I am the eternal God. I am. I am. Go in my strength. I will give you Aaron as your spokesperson. And Moses just keeps saying, I'm not up to the task. And finally, in chapter four, God says, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Now, what did Moses have in his hand? I got to look at my girl's watch here for a minute. Mine's not working. So Marilyn, loan me one. Be quick. Moses says, God says, what you got in your hand? What did Moses have in his hand? He had a shepherd's staff because Moses was a shepherd on the backside of the desert. The ordinary tools of his trade. And what does God say? He says, Moses, throw it down. Lay it down. Now, what happens when he lays it down? You read chapter four, it becomes a snake for heaven's sake. And Moses starts to turn and run the very thing I would probably plan to do. And God says, wait a minute, Moses. Whoa, stop. Pick it up. Now, apparently, Moses has had an encounter with God because he is in more in awe of God than he is in fear of a poisonous snake. He picks it up. And what happens? It becomes a shepherd's staff again. But this time it is called not just a shepherd's staff. It is the rod of God. And what is God doing here? That he does with us. When we truly meet him. And we hear his call upon our lives. We understand that this is daunting. We are not up to the task. And the father says, what you got in your hand? What have you got in your hand? The ordinary tools of your trade, the gifts, the talents, the resources, the challenges, the opportunities that comprise your one and only life. And God says, lay it down. Lay it all down. Lay it down. That is the fundamental act of the life that can fashion something beautiful for God. It is the act not of sufficiency, but the act of surrender. Are you willing to lay your life at the feet of Jesus, ready to do everything he asks? Am I? And so often, 
once we come to that point of surrender, he says, OK, pick it up. I created you. Your personality, your giftedness, your talents, your challenges, your story. Even your failures, flaws and foolishness, your relationships. I gave you these. I needed you to lay them at my feet and in surrender, you can now take them up and they are infused by the power of the spirit who dwells within every Christ follower. And now. Together, as we, you remain in union with me, we can fashion of your life something beautiful for God. And remember, it starts in the desert. So now, Pastor Scott is going to be proud. Will you? <laughs> what do you need to do today? Because you have been in worship in the word. Well, will you? First of all, remember I said it started in the desert. Will you examine the greatest challenge of your life right now? And begin to seek God in the middle of your challenge. Isn't it interesting that that's one of the most recurring themes in the human stories in the Bible? At the point of our greatest challenges, our brokenness, our confusion, our despair. That's where God goes to work, not at the point of our sufficiency. And I'm sure some of that is because we don't listen well when we've got everything supposedly in control. But when we're on our backs, we tend to become teachable. And sometimes it's when a man strikes rock bottom that he strikes the rock of ages. So could you ask this morning, God... In this, this moment of, in my life that I do not understand, that's my greatest challenge. How are you at work? Help me see it. And you've got my permission to redeem this experience. And so often you will find your most unique call to mission at the intersection of some human pain and God's activity in the pain in your own world. Often you'll find a ministry there. Now, secondly, as you consider what God does in the most challenging moment of your life, will you determine to cultivate intimacy with Christ as the primary passion of your life? If you hunger for Jesus, as God fills that hunger, he will call you to the things that he wants you to do on the journey outward. Finally, thirdly, rather. Will you consider that call? Father, you've got permission to help me to look at my world, my life, the things that are in my life from the standpoint of mission. Where are you calling me to join you in servant witness for you in my world? And finally, will you lay it all down? Will you this morning do the thing that is hardest for some of us? Red-blooded Americans to do, will you surrender? Will you run up the white flag and crawl off the throne of your life and let Jesus be Lord and Master of your life? Will you surrender? You see, decisions are important. In worship and in the Word, God brings you to a point of decision. You have the opportunity to decide 
to follow Christ in the ways that he has spoken to you this day. Nobody, as Dallas Willard says, just drifts into discipleship. It is an intentional choice every day. So will you surrender to him? Father, I want to thank you. We've had this time in worship this morning for the the recognition of our servants with children today for the wonderful young couple who have shared your calling upon their lives and how we can partner with them. And then, Father, for presenting yourself to us in worship and for the certainty of your call as you call each of us by name. May we hear. May we have hearts that will surrender and obey. May the next few moments be used of you to change our lives as we say yes in Jesus name. Amen.